0: Welcome to the DLTV Podcast. I'm Marcus Molke. and our guest today is Paul Boys, Director of the Gippsland Tech School. Paul, welcome to the DLTV Podcast. It's great to have you on. Before we start, give us a bit of an explanation as to what your role is at Gippsland Tech School.
1: Yeah, sure. So, look, thanks for having me on. So, my role is the Director of the Gippsland Tech School. So, we're a very small team. We're actually five point six equivalent full time people. So I've got two point six teachers, administration myself and an IT network person. So a very small team, but doing some really, you know, cool and innovative stuff. My journey's been a very diverse one. So number one, dropped out of university when I first went, jumped into the workforce, so then started working in tourism hospitality, owned my own restaurants, um oh, wow. from there, went back to school in my late twenties. My wife and I had two children by then and thought we maybe should get our stuff together. So I went back to school, studied politics and research, then did an honours year and then from there ended up moving into teaching in the vocational training sector. And I've been working in that sector for about 18 years. What's quite unique about me as well is I'm actually not a secondary school teacher. I'm not a VIT registered teacher, so tech schools... Actually, draw off a fairly wide range of skills. So for me, I've got a master's in education, master's in business, but my background is mainly in vocational training. Now, Paul, I
0: know you're one of those very lucky people to receive a Churchill Fellowship, and you travelled to Canada and the USA in uh, 2018 to explore trade-based learning in secondary school. Can you sort of give us a bit of a sort of a feel for what happened over there and what you saw?
1: Probably the thing that prompted me to sort of do the research was, number one, working in the vocational space, seeing a lot of young people that are just not really sure about what to do. And, and from my experience, a lot of people are falling out of the school system a little bit too early. Yeah. So I was really keen to look at ways that overseas models were actually keeping young people in schools and providing them sort of alternate pathways, if you want to put it that way. We've got VCE and VCAL here, which do a great job. But I wanted to see some other methods. So probably the thing that was most intriguing there was Colorado. So Colorado set up a new system where they literally threw their vocational training system in the air and said, "Look, it's not working." They went and did a ten-day study tour of Switzerland, came back and actually brought in a flexible diploma program. So diploma is the equivalent of DCL or DECAL where students can actually bring in work experience, they can bring in vocational training, and they had a lot more flexibility in how they achieved their outcomes. That was really good. Same was another program in Toronto, which was a program based around, again, providing flexibility for people that were disengaging, giving them more options around work, employment, and also sort of community-based education. So they were still connected to their communities, that they were finding alternative pathways to get to that that year 12 outcome. And I'm thinking you've used that sort of model as
0: a way to actually connect with the schools in your local area there because I know you've got a bit of a whole thing going on there with your, with your local network. So am I right in saying that? And what, what sort of activities do you do with the local schools?
1: Yeah, so look, today, I'll, I'll give you a rundown of today. So today was day two of a renewable energy program. So we developed a program that introduces students to solar, wind and hydrogen-based energy. Now that's a two-day program that links back to the Year 7 and 8 science curriculum about renewables. So this was developed in partnership with schools and also in partnership with one of our local energy providers, Engie. So between the three of us, we put this program together, so day two today students had learned about the technologies today they actually had to implement their own renewable city they had to power that city for a nominated period of time they were given a budget if they didn't uh, listen on day one they had to pay for consultants their money ran out quickly so we tried to make it as live and as real as we could and then at the end of the day, the students had to present their ideas back to a panel, which consisted of teachers from the partner school and teachers from our school as well. Wow. On top of that, we had yeah, on top of that, we had three teachers from one of our local partner schools do one of their professional practice days here. So they actually were working on building a physics program with us for VCE units one, two, VCE three, four. Uh, we're also looking at doing a, a year 10 sort of fun in physics day. So the, the intent there is to try and get more kids engaged in physics so that we can boost up the numbers in BCE. Oh
0: Godfather, what an amazing day for the kids and the teachers. So how many schools are in the network that are actually connected to your tech college?
1: Yeah, so we're the smallest tech school in the region. We only have nine schools that directly feed into us. So we have three government schools. We have one Catholic, one independent, and we have four specialist schools that feed into us. Yeah. So we work with a really wide range of students from Year 7 through to Year 12, and we also work with VCAL groups at Tate Gippsland. So we have a very diverse audience, and we have a very diverse sort of range of programs to meet that audience. Well, I tell you, those kids are getting
0: exposed to some really cool ideas. Did you travelled to Europe just recently to explore design thinking. Was it a workshop you
1: attended over there? Yeah, so we actually visited two places. So first, we went to Aalborg University in Denmark. Now, Aalborg University is the leading university in Europe for engineering outcomes. So it ranks as number one, and it ranks as number four globally for the best outcomes. So Aalborg University work off problem-based learning model. So what that means, you're in undergrad or a postgraduate program. Essentially, one third of your load is actually working in a group of six on a defined industry challenge. So students are actually given, you know, some some writable whiteboards, they're given some seats, and they literally spend one-third of the university time working on that project all the way through. Wow. So each semester, new project, new group, new challenge, and it was just fantastic. The way the students were engaged, you know, the prototypes, the responses to the challenges were fantastic. On top of that, we then did a five-day design thinking course in Holland, which was awesome. And we worked with industry, we worked with people from business, and we all had to respond to a set challenge as well. So it was actually good to be on the other side, being the student for once and picking up a few things that we could possibly do to improve our program. What was the challenge you were undertaking? So we worked for the Rainforest Alliance. So they're a sort of an organic certification body that sort of confirms with local farmers that you know they're organic, that they're being child labour free, they're being sustainable. So we had to work with them on developing a communication piece around how to improve their... I guess, their, their recognition in the community and also build more exposure for their business. How'd you go? Yeah, good. Look, we actually didn't win, but that's okay. I worked with uh, five younger people, I'm yeah. a little bit more mature than the others, which was actually really interesting. So social media is not my number one go-to, so I certainly learned a lot about the digital media. I also learned a lot about just ways that millennials think, the ways that they work, the ways they you know, engage. So that was quite interesting from you know for, for being an older person. Did you learn anything that you think might be an add-on to what we know already? Yeah, look, I think for me, we've been using Design Thinking as a platform here for the last 18 months that we've been open. The thing that was really interesting to me was the problem-based learning. So I'm actually at the moment looking at ways to sort of complement and integrate the two models and to see if there is kind of what commonalities there are, and then also looking for ways that we can make improvements, because... With design thinking, it's very much focused on a human-centered design approach. And because we don't look a lot at customer journeys, we don't do a lot of field research around, you know, the person who is being um, affected by the problem, we don't do a true design process. So I'm actually keen to look at how we can sort of find commonality between the two. I'm not saying build our own way of delivering, but just look at ways to find a centre ground between the two.
0: Fantastic. Now look, uh, of course, I'm interested to know just generally, what do you think are the main challenges facing us in STEM education? Is design thinking one of the key things to work on or is it other challenges I think we're sort of facing at the moment?
1: I think design thinking is certainly one of the tools that we use to try and improve the way students work together. So we talk about collaboration, problem solving, general capabilities, I think they're super important. Now, people often refer to it as a soft skill or, or give it a name. I don't like branding something as soft or hard or something else. I think every skill is relevant. Technical skills are super important as well. But if, if young people aren't prepared to work collaboratively, if they're not prepared to be flexible, if they can't present, I think they're the skills that underpin success in a future career. Yeah. And on top of that, you build... And hopefully tech schools here can help people to find what their passion is and then hopefully direct them into that so that when they hit their VCE or VCAL, they're making choices around subjects that they like. So I think there's, I'm not disheartened about the future. I don't think that it's doom and gloom, but I think that we just have to look a little bit more differently. And I want to see young people get excited by STEM, or I should say STEAM, bringing the outside in as well, and not feeling that it's hard, and it's challenging, but seeing how it actually relates to the everyday I think that's what's most important. Now,
0: Paul, can you paint us a bit of a picture for us about what Gippsland Tech looks like in the future? So
1: the the space that we really want to try and develop ourselves is in the sort of the pre-VCE, v space. Right. So really provide a lot of introduction to whether it's robotics, coding, uh, prototyping, electronics, could be multimedia, art design, VR, try to help people find what's the thing that they enjoy and then hopefully having you know, the influence to see that, you know, people are choosing subjects and choosing, you know, potential careers that are based off experiences they've had here. But the most important thing for us is working with our partner schools and they've been absolutely fantastic. I can't speak more highly of the schools in our region. They're really keen to try new things. They're really keen to work with us as well. And we're really mindful not to... How can I put this? Not to say that we're doing something you're not, but to try and find a way that we're collaboratively. I think that's really important. Yep. We can learn as much from them as they can from
0: us. Fantastic. Now, Paul, listen, uh, everyone has got a favourite STEM education resource. It's something that sort of is a go-to thing. If you've got a go-to thing that you think this always works, the kids love this.
1: Yeah, look, it's funny, we've been doing a lot of cahoots in our class, a bit of a way of getting kids involved and engaged. We find that's a really nice way to of start them off, a little bit competitive, yeah. it's something they can see, it's action-based, so that, we find that's a really good way to start our programs. One of the things that we're pushing towards as well is we're doing four-day design challenges where at the end of every school term, we invite anywhere between four and eight students from each of our partner schools, and we actually get them to come together for four whole days and work on a design problem. That's with one of our local industry partners, and that's something that I really enjoy as well, because it really gets kids... Involved, And the outcomes from the industry perspective have been fantastic. They've been blown away by the work students are doing. Can we
0: sort of get sort of insight into how that works? Because you've you've mentioned it a couple of times now, and it sounds unbelievably fantastic. How do we, as listeners, get access to that information that you're talking about? Have you got – is there a website where that stuff is listed or a Facebook page or any – is there any way we can get – we can track it down?
1: You can. So off our website, you'll see reference to these, and you'll see our social media feed. As well, The thing that we're really trying to push next year is to build on the capacity around these. So what we're finding now is that students in the region are starting to say, well, that's something I want to aspire to. They see it as a bit of a, you know, something they can work towards. So we're trying to push it a bit more next year. But that's really about the true design process. So allowing students to ideate, reflect, sit back build their prototypes, you know, use the, the double diamond to sort of diverge their thinking and really take them along that journey, but do it in a supportive way. And, and again, there's no right or wrong, and we really want to stress that with the projects that we do. Paul, exciting stuff. Now,
0: could you just do me a favour? You're talking a lot about the future, but can you give us a picture, paint a picture for us of how, like, STEM looks like in schools, like it's in your region and so forth? You think in, say, five to perhaps
1: even ten years? How do you, see, yeah, look, how do you it, see it operating? What I found most appealing around here is the schools are prepared to work with each other. Yeah. And that's been a really big thing for us. So the recognition that we can't do it by ourselves, but we need to work collaboratively. So that's where the, the tech schools become a bit of a central hub to that. And so we're sort of here to, I guess, provide, whether it's just the resources or provide some knowledge, but also to provide a sort of a comfortable place to share. And we're not here to threaten anyone. We're here to simply go, let's have a go at this. We don't know, you know, a lot of things that we do either, but we're prepared to dive in. And it's that mindset to say, well, listen, I'm prepared to try something different and, you know,
0: not be feared of being judged for it. Nice. Now, Paul, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way they can reach you?
1: So if they go through our website, the Gippsland Tech School, you'll find a, you know, a general inquiries email. You'll also find our contact details. There's descriptions of all of the six staff members that work for us. And they're really diverse. You know, my lead teacher is a physiotherapist, so she's been 15 years. she wow. got a Master's of Secondary Education, VIT registered. My lead teacher is actually a lawyer. And behest, he saw the light and became an educator, which is great. <laughs> but he's the kind of guy, if you handed him anything, he'd pull it apart, want to know how it works. And my third teacher is actually a PhD in physics, and he's from the university sector. Wow. So they're all really different. quite diverse, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is. They're a little bit um, not your average kind of people. And I've also got a solutions architect, my IT person, who's got a background in multimedia design. So we're really fortunate, you know, we complement each other. No one stands above anyone else. We're all doing our thing and, and we're all here to really support ourselves and also the local schools. So to me, it's been fantastic, really inspiring as an educator to sort of be in this environment where you can try new things and do it without sort of
0: fear or favour. Paul, you're doing an amazing job. Thank you very much for being interviewed by the DLTV today. It's been great to have you on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for the time. Thanks for listening to the DLTV podcast. You can find all our podcasts on our website, dltv.vic.edu.au and on SoundCloud. Have a
1: great day.